a podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Dave X Media. Contend Capable acknowledges the indigenous people on the land on which we record this podcast, the Tarongarong people. We offer our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Sovereignty was never ceded. content and capable where this week i have what is the equivalent of my boss on the podcast for what could be described as the equivalent of a performance review or (laughs) just a really good chat between friends who knows you'll have to listen to the episode to find out i'm sam i'm your host and joining me is christina uh the founder of deus ex media hi christina i don't know if you can call me your boss if i don't pay you anything What was it? Uh, I just had every now and then our boss calls us in individually for a meeting, and it's great because we we all look at each other and go, we all immediately assume that something's gone wrong. Yeah, and it's never our boss has never ever called us in his office for something bad. Really, ever. I think I've only been reprimanded once by him. Um, and every other time, it's been like an opportunity, or he wants to chat about a story that we're working on or something. Never, and I. But we all always assume because we're just so used to whenever the boss gets involved in anything, mm-hmm. um, that it's a bad thing. We all just assume that something's gone wrong. We're like, well, what did we do? Yeah, like- it's like it's like when someone tells you, "Hey, we need to talk later." It's like, uh. <laughs> That's why I try to be like, Sean, we need to talk later about our vacation plans. <laughs> Make it a good thing. Make it- <laughs> so we don't procrastinate all our <laughs> way through it. Oh, so great. Well, we're not here to talk about bosses um, because I feel like we'd all get in trouble for talking about bosses. It just seems like one of those things. My boss is Linda um, Belcher from Bob's Burgers. I love oh, her so much. I love my- <laughs> oh, I would love my boss to be Linda Belcher. It reminds me of a previous job I had where on Friday at four o'clock, we would bring out wine and beer and nice. um, have a have a beverage before we left work at five That's on a Friday That's wonderful. Afternoon. I hope to one day be able to do that as well. That sounds, that sounds like it's great for morale. It was great for morale. Um, it also meant that, like, I really looked forward to rocking up to work on a Friday. Yeah. Now I work from um, home, so it's like, yeah, I can technically drink at work whenever I want to, but it doesn't feel the same. Yeah, and my equivalent to a Friday is, like, a Monday afternoon. So oh, yeah. <laughs> me rocking up to the start of the week and having a beverage at 4 o'clock on a Monday afternoon seems mildly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely see myself tipsy though, kind of like walking out of the building and going, "Well, we're gonna go home now." <laughs> I when me and Grace and Mike and Haley used to all work together. If when we were having really bad days, we'd go out to lunch and be like, "Should we? Should we get beers?" And then we'd be like, uh, "I'll get one if you get one." Okay, all right. <laughs> it's a bad day. Let's yeah, no, let's get beers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think a, a beer at lunch on a Friday is great. That's exactly or right. even a beer at lunch on a 
on a Wednesday Dude, if needed. My dad, um, my dad, when I was a kid, my dad was my age and he was a stockbroker who did a lot of work in New York and um, he traveled a lot. And that man would have, I think, several beers every day at lunch because that was just kind of like the culture, you know? I can't imagine that. I, I'm a cheap drunk, so that... That makes me kind of sad. Like, oh, I wish I could have like three or four beers at lunch every day. That's so many beers, dude. <laughs> it's way too many. Yeah. Uh, I think my mother would be disappointed with me if she found out that I drank three or four beers at lunch every day. <laughs> um, and I think that hurts more than anything else. Yeah. Um, so we're not here to talk about beer or alcohol or bosses. Um, but we talked about it anyways. You're welcome. Free content. <laughs> uh, this whole podcast is free, but there's a paywall now. If, you've got to pay- <laughs> if you want the on-topic stuff, you got to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> pay us. Um, we're here to talk about sociolinguistics, Christina. Um, you suggested this one for the uninitiated and the man who um, was supposed to do research and didn't. <laughs> uh, what is sociolinguistics? So I want to start by saying that I am not a leading professional in the subject matter of sociolinguistics. Oh my God, I can't even say it. <laughs> but it is what I studied in college. It's what I have my degree in. Um, I mean, it's like I have an English degree and then you like have to pick a concentration. So my concentration was in linguistics. Um, sociolinguistics is like pretty much looking at it from like a usage perspective instead of like a grammar perspective. It's like sociology plus linguistics. So it's like the study of people intersected with the study of language. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff at that intersection because as humans, we not only shape language, but language also shapes us. That's why there's so much discourse like on the internet about um, like, and and among professionals about like the kind of language that we should use to talk about certain subjects. And that's because language really does matter. And that's why like certain words with really negative histories or really negative connotations um, are sort of being phased out of the language because we're really starting to, I think, talk about sociolinguistics as a society more, even if that's not what we're calling it. But like anytime anyone is like, here's like here's some good like starter language to help you talk to like your friend who's going through a gender transition or like stuff like that like all of that really Mm. comes down to like sociolinguistics so it's one of my hyper fixations i have a bachelor's degree in the subject matter (laughs) i don't do it for a living but damn i love it so much and i think i i do my best to incorporate it where it's appropriate into my work at wildling and stuff because it's one of those things that is important like everywhere all the time you know I think it also like really helps, especially within a publishing context, uh, makes writing a little bit more timeless and a little bit more easy to read by a, a wider variety of people. I've, we've definitely had this conversation on the Deus Ex Media Discord server about like some of the wild differences between the way each of us speak from each different culture. Yeah. You know, we've got people from the UK and the States, from the, from the North and the South and the West of the States, plus Canada. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, Australia. we Southerners have like the whole Discord server saying y'all now. Like we got y'all in... Uh, Norway. We got y'all in Australia. We got y'all in the UK. We're doing it. 
we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, I, I love it. I think y'all is probably one of the best words I've ever learned. It's great. <laughs> since becoming an adult. It's amazing. It does um, so much work. Sometimes I'll send a text message that's like one sentence long and I've used the word y'all three times. Yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's a fascinating aspect to, and you know, I write, you write. We all, a lot of us do writing for a living um, and being able to understand how we communicate and how we can better communicate, I think. And this is where I like kind of wish I did like something like sociolinguistics at university because it's it's like, oh, I really wish I could have instead of my boring journalism degree, which was often frustrating other than the fact that it got me where I am today. So, <laughs> Well, the cool thing about um, linguistics yeah, no. is that the two career paths, if you really want to pursue linguistics, your two career options are you're going to teach linguistics or you're going to work for the FBI. And those are your two options. So that's why I was like looking at both those options. My mom was like, please, sweetie, please. The FBI, I know they don't like you to smoke pot when you work for the FBI, but that would be such a wonderful job for you. And I'm like, mom, you don't understand the kind of things that they would find in one of my hair samples. Okay. Like you don't understand. I can't go work for the FBI. I went to a, I went to a shitty public university. I've done so many drugs, please. Uh, I've spent too much time in court to like even feel comfortable driving at the moment. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things. <laughs> Just like, please, law enforcement's too scary. It's too scary. <laughs> it's too scary. Even even the normal people are really too scary. I had a phone call with a police officer yesterday. And I was just speaking to him. I, he's been nominated for an award. It was great. And I was like, oh, I just need like a little bit of about you and things for this, you know, award nomination you've gotten. What do you think about being nominated? And the way he spoke back to me. And I love this guy. This guy is like really lovely. Um, but I was like, oh, this is a man of authority. Oh, 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 like this is still mildly terrifying. Mm-hmm. Help. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I feel you. Um, For like a... Um, practical application. I know we talked about the FBI or teaching sociolinguistics. Yeah. Um, but like within your writing day to day, what does applying the what you've been taught look like? Yeah, I think that a really big a, a good starting point to for talking about sociolinguistics is um Dr. Rosina Lippi-Green, she created this list that she calls the linguistic facts of life. Um, I think it's like five rules or like rules is a really strong word. Linguistics doesn't like rules. We just like uh, to describe things as we see them. So she wrote down some stuff about language that I think is a really good starting point. And one of her linguistic facts of life is that writing and speech are fundamentally, historically, they're, they are different things completely a lot of people especially i'm sure you've seen this on the internet like to police the way that other people write and if you aren't able to write well in a way that is grammatically correct then other people will often judge you for that when in reality writing is a skill that we all learn um much like math or doing the dishes Mm. like we're not born knowing how to write at all. Whereas we are born, most of us are born with this biological imperative to like seek speech. And so when you're a kid, you will, you're looking for speech and that's how you build your ability to speak. And even children in isolation, um, you know, kids who are raised 
alone in abusive situations or like lost in the woods or whatever, those kids will still form language even when they're not exposed to an existing language. So I think that's like a really good starting point for me and all the work that I do is always remembering that writing is a skill and people have different skill levels, you know, and it's not helpful or constructive to ever judge anyone. And I think that helps me a lot with my work with authors at Wildling. Um, and, and as well as like in my p personal life, like people sometimes joke about like, oh, you must be real like grammar Nazi. And I'm like, I only really correct people when I think it's funny or when I think they would like mm. genuinely want to know, like I correct the wildlings all day long because they work with me making <laughs> books. <laughs> you better believe yeah. I'm going to correct you. <laughs> but like, it's just not helpful to judge anyone for the way they write or speak. Honestly, that's like a different, it, not judging people for how they speak is totally different from not judging people for how they write. But basically just don't judge people. And like language is so fun and interesting. Like don't be grumpy about it. It's, it's a very fascinating thing that I think I learned quite abruptly. And it's a weird, weird way to describe it abruptly. But moving from radio spoken word through to um, text in a newspaper, um, mm -hmm. there were like five realizations that kind of hit me all at once within about a week of starting full-time working at a newspaper. Mm -hmm. And those things were, like, obviously the difference between speech and writing is completely different, but also different contexts within writing. So a newspaper is very, it's supposed to be very easily read. It's supposed to be, I think, theoretically, someone said it's supposed to be grade 10 level. You're supposed to be able to understand completely everything in it. Okay. But, you know, still all the way down to, like, a eighth grade level um, yeah. made, like, mostly comprehensible. Um and then it's all about, you know, uh, it's not necessarily about grammar or structure, but it's about readability um, and understanding. And uh, but also then at the same time, we have this weird obsession with spelling, um, because as soon as you make a, a, a mistake, it goes into print, which I did this week. Uh, um, been there, buddy. I, <laughs> um you, everyone can see it. Um, yeah. I forget what the spelling error was, but it was uh, it was a oh, planty instead of plenty. Um, a planty? <laughs> Girl, your tree outside is looking really planty, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was... I had written it on Monday. It was like my 15th caption I had written for an image. Okay. Uh, and that's the other thing. Like, you're writing, like... I, and I think that this is... As compared to, like, writing a book, newspaper, you're writing, like... A, you know, a couple of thousand words each week, but then you're also editing it, proofing it, proofing other people's work, yeah. writing captions, which is like completely different style. And then also being weirdly obsessive about images and advertising and, you know, everything else that kind of goes along in head. So you almost like put together a whole book a week and it's like, wow, I can't believe I did that. And, you know, the book arrived yesterday and now all of our hard work for the last week's laid out in front of yeah. us. Mistakes and all. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's so scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's fascinating because like writing a newspaper, I always told everyone that I sucked at English through high school. I really struggled to write, especially within the context of what high school English demanded. And I rocked up to my journalism course going, I just really hope that the writing is like, easy and I can kind of, you know, get through it, uh, barely. And it was 
so much easier than I thought it was going to be because it's so formulaic yeah. as well. Totally. Whereas, it's you know, it's literally just a set of rules. It's like learning how to play soccer. It's just a set of rules. Mm. And like some people don't know all the rules. Like I'm watching Ted Lasso and I'm like, what are they talking about? But I know probably more <laughs> grammar rules than Ted Lasso. So, um, but linguistics really, when it comes down to it, I know the first thing I said about linguistics was about how like writing is different from talking, but like linguistics is really, it's not about writing at all. It's about how we, people speak to each other. Like that's kind of the point of that rule is like, don't even worry about writing right now. Cause it's different. It's different from speech and like human speech is so freaking cool. Like a lot of people talk about how, um, like it's one of the things that like humans have is like our ability to like, uh, our ability to like, uh, know that we are sentient to like know that we have a future um, our ability to like use tool like complex tools and like our ability to speak complex language and so like linguistics basically when it comes down to it is looking at the way that people are already speaking loud motorcycle and being like what are they doing and like what are the patterns of what they're doing and like why and, and at, at no yeah. point are linguists like, and how should they do it to be right? No, we don't care about how should they do it to be right. We care about what is literally happening and what does that tell us about the way that the world is moving? And I suppose that kind of goes against, I, I think this is where like a lot of people who are very obsessive with grammar and things, it goes against that. It's like, you know, the language changes. We aren't you know, we aren't going to use grammar the same way. Like the art of the semicolon and the colon and the N dash and the M dash have kind of mm -hmm. like fallen out of vogue. And like, there are weird things that like some people use that, you know, some people will understand, but others just have no idea what's going on or how that rule's supposed to be applied. Um, and it's cause it's yeah. changed. We don't need to use them anymore. Totally. The way people change speaks constantly. Wait, <laughs> the way people speak changes constantly. I switched those words around. Like <laughs> you listen to Shakespeare's English that doesn't, it's really hard. It doesn't, it, that is not at all the way that we speak. I mean, even reading like Jane Austen, which is only like a, a couple hundred years ago, it's like, we just simply don't speak like this anymore. And it's like, yes, you can find meaning because it's still the same language. Um, but mm. it, 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 it's just, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone when language changes because that's what it's always done. Like English wasn't here from the beginning. Like English came from somewhere from German to yeah, be exactly. exact. <laughs> so, so and let's it's be honest, just... German doesn't all make sense. <laughs> yeah. So that's another part of linguistics is like, uh, the history of language, which is a class I took the, uh, the history of the English language in college. And that was one of the boringest, mm. coolest classes I ever took because the, it was so dry. Oh my God. But it was so interesting to learn how English got to be the way it is today. Like, yeah. like uh, so many languages have such cool histories, but I think English in particular is really unique. The way that it moved onto the British Isles, the way that so many different peoples came and like conquered those English speaking peoples and like turned English into this other new thing. And then since then, the way that English has been so globalized, uh, I, English is just, it's a very cool language. We can really do so much with it.
it's fascinating um, because English is so globalized. The differences between and I complain about this daily because my computer is set on American English and I write in Australian <laughs> English. But like the differences between different dialects, basically, of English is not quite that, but it's it's this it's very similar. It's like and. You know, it's spelling changes, but it's also phrasing and structural changes or, you know, the way things are spelt the differently. Like, Americans use the letter Z way more often than we do here in Australia. Yeah. Like, organization like thing, has an um, S in it. We will use an S. One thing that I noticed when we first became friends that I really like, I think it's, like, a very cute thing that you guys do in Australian English is what you say you, you chat to someone, but here in the U.S. we mm. say we chat with someone. And so... Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like that's the fun. That's it means the same thing. It's a fun, cute little different way to say it. To think that that word also was developed in the trenches of World War One, and um, you know everyone was the same, but everyone took slightly different grammar structure out of it and took it back to their home country, yeah. and now it's developed beyond and within the last hundred years. It's kind of very kind of amazing to see yeah or like um wasn't the word okay from world one of the world wars it meant like all clear yeah i think so as well yeah and the way that we spell it differently as well you got the okay literal and okay ay as well and you see both of them use um i don't know which where it separates but yeah um and then there's when my dad um, when i send my dad a meme and he responds and he just says (laughs) k And it's like, thanks. <laughs> no, we're still at the your mum jokes in our family group chat. So um, That's probably a really um, chaotic group chat. Oh, sometimes it hurts my brain. Because you've got you got a, well, everyone from 14 up in the same group chat. And it's the type of chat. I don't know why it's called this, but it's called Big Meme. So, you know, theoretically, we're supposed to be sharing memes on it. But, you know, it also ends up being the only place we can all communicate to each other uh, because the children have very limiting phone plans. They're like, well, as soon as we're connected to the internet, there's no point, you know, uh, sending a text message when I can, you know, send a, a normal message to someone. Anyway, but yeah, very fascinating. A mess of a group chat. So many people <laughs> misunderstanding so many other people. Um, my poor mother, I think probably holds her breath every time she, she sees a message from there because it could be anything <laughs> from your mum's cold like what my brother said yesterday or um i need help with this <laughs> i love that though that's very uh, very nice that you guys have a little family chat but mm. yeah so and i was just thinking about um uh the phrase like big dick energy as well it has so much meaning now uh. but 200 years ago, somebody would have been like, you mean tall Richard? Yeah, his energy's a little weird today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think, yeah. It's just, it's so fascinating, all the different changes. Um, I don't know. We're in Pride Month at the moment, which feels like a really appropriate time to talk about sociolinguistics. Yes. And the way that we're changing... Uh, how we talk about people and to people. Um, what have been some of the, uh, aside from the really obvious ones, what have been some of the interesting changes you've seen? Really? I think that, especially in the last, like, 10, 15 years, people have become 
we've started to spread the message that the way you speak matters and some people get it some people were still working on them getting it um some people like my mom are like i don't know the right thing to say you have to explain it to me and it's like that's fair like i really think that a great example of i think one of the biggest changes that's happened in english in the last maybe like I'm no, I'm saying it. This is one of the biggest changes to like happen to mo like m American English <laughs> is the introduction yeah. of the concept of asking for someone's pronouns before you start speaking to them. Because historically, yeah. English is not a gendered language the way that uh, Spanish, for example, is a gendered language. Its words end with an mm -hmm. A or an O a, a lot of the time to signal what gender that word is or um even if it doesn't end more than a or an o it it is it is gendered like all of their nouns are gendered that's something that we don't have yeah. at all in english except with a very few rare exceptions that are all borrowed from other languages but english does have gendered pronouns whereas some languages like farsi as far as i know doesn't have gendered pronouns um because my stepdad is a native farsi speaker and he still has a hard time with <laughs> he and she because he wasn't when he was first learning language he the difference between he and she was meaningless they didn't have that so i think that that is like a great example of one way that we are all using sociolinguistics to make to shape our world kind of and be like this is how we want the future mm. to be and like i know i said earlier that like linguistics is about talking about how people are talking linguist oh my god that sounded so stupid linguistics are about the way people are talking we're not here to say you should do it this way you should do it d this way just like anything else it's different when it comes to human rights right you should respect someone's pronouns yeah. like i'm here to say that um you don't really necessarily have to do have to like pronounce every other word correctly in that sentence or like you don't necessarily have to say what you're saying to that person the way that I would say it, but you do need to respect people and yeah. their identities. Yeah, it is a very fascinating part. And I remember when I was learning, Japanese doesn't necessarily have gendered words, but um, theirs is pretty, mostly gender neutral, um, but uh, German does. And when I was learning German in middle school, it was, it was very fascinating. And it was very hard to get my head around okay so this object identifies as male like and it was a very hard thing to kind of go and over, of course over the years i've become a lot it's been a lot easier for me to kind of go yeah okay that makes sense not that i look no german at all anymore other than had to say i'm a table um but you know uh <laughs> it's, it's like but within my english context i'm able to <laughs> I just remember the time I learned how to say I am a table. <laughs> oh no. What context oh, do you need school. that for? <laughs> you never, you didn't need it. It was a mistake. <laughs> well, they, were, they were doing like possessive, they were doing like possessive nouns and sentences in the mm -hmm. German class that you could take beyond the required German you had to learn in middle school. Um, mm -hmm. and one of the, the only guy in the class at the time, uh, he said, ich bin ein Tisch, which means I am a table. Uh, and so <laughs> the whole year level, we found out about it and 
a whole year level used the, that sentence for a very long time, <laughs> and it got it got ingrained into our family. Often it's a response to when someone calls your name, you go like Sam, and I go Ich bin ein Tisch, um, because we just I don't know we're weird like that. Um, yeah, learning learning that words could be gendered, and then like using them appropriately to based on the context or based on what you know people would prefer was a very fascinating part of my late childhood early adulthood which i thought was very interesting yeah but speakers of german or of of spanish they do it so organically Mm. the same way that like uh you know how in english you say like i'll have a banana but you say i'll have an apple and uh and an are technically the same word linguistically they are technically the same word because they're doing the exact same job one of them is just slightly altered to sound better when you say it next to a word that starts with a vowel um and so like we Mm. never think about that because we don't have to so it's just really interesting the way that certain people uh the way that people get their uh their first language really is stuck in their brain and that's why um you don't really when you learn other languages, it's like always in the context of what you already know. And also like yeah. on top of that, like because I was a na- native English speaker, I didn't really understand like very advanced grammatical concepts because it came so naturally to me. It really took me getting to extremely advanced Spanish classes before I started truly understanding advanced English grammar because it was being taught to me in this like new way and then I was able to look back at English and be Mm. like oh shit this is what's happening there I didn't even notice we always joked the Japanese taught us more about English grammar than our English classes Mm -hmm. ever did um because you would learn about the different particles and you know bits and pieces and it's like you just never learnt that because that kind of advanced linguistics is already ingrained in your learning of the language through your primary school years before you, you know, before you have to start using it in advanced applications in, you know, essays or something, you know, it's very fascinating. And I think it is very interesting the way that children learn language somehow, you know, you don't need any of that theory behind it. But a lot of the time when adults learn a language, they do take a lot of that structural grammar because it really does help them ground the language in something that they already know. Yeah. And also because when children get to be, you know, you know, eight to 10 months old or whatever, their brains change and their brains are uh, now that they're like, okay, I understand that this is mommy and this is daddy, or this is my other mommy, or this is Mm. my grandma or like whatever. And, uh, like, I, I live in this house. They have to get those things out of the way. And once they're like, okay, I am a person who lives in this house with my guardians, <laughs> then their brains are like, okay, yeah, let's figure out what's going on here. And their brains literally just, like, open up to language. And that's why once yeah. your kid starts acquiring language, you need to really watch the way you speak in front of them because they are soaking that all in. All of it. Like, the bad habits, the lisps, the... The fact that, you know, you'll stammer five times before you speak. <laughs> yeah, um, like Brooke's baby uh, Freya is, I think, eight or nine months now. And I was like, you need to tell me wh- like when she starts acquiring language because we are always like, oh my God, what a fat, perfect baby. And like once your <laughs> daughter starts 
learning how to talk you have to stop calling her fat you know like but she yeah. is babies are supposed <laughs> to be fat <laughs> their bodies are structurally different from like us as adults yeah and you, you know the baby's body and you know that if freya heard somebody swear and saw the reaction it got she would be all over that oh <laughs> uh, i cannot wait for the phase where i hear brooke complaining that Frailet had a swear in front of you all and then Sorry. Uh, realized that you guys absolutely love her. And <laughs> <laughs> stop hey, swearing. I'm a big proponent of teach kids how to swear and when to swear. When to swear, yeah. Context is key. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of children forget. Uh, yeah. Oh, adults as well. <laughs> their language. It's like, be careful of what you say in front of the different people. <laughs> Yeah, I did shout um, cunnilingus in a restaurant yesterday, and the people I was with were very scandalized, and I was like, it's just a word. <laughs> if there's a kid here, they don't know what the fuck cunnilingus means, and they're not going to remember it. Well, and this is the thing, right? Like, when you... The, the taking offense to, like, certain words, um, you're only offended if the context or, or what you think it means is a bad thing. We, we attach so much psychological meaning to these words. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden we're all up in arms because you use the word fuck in front of your parents. That's a really um, big part of linguistics as well, is looking at, like, taboo language and what makes it taboo. A lot of it goes back to Bible shit, I'll tell you. A lot of it goes back to Christianity shit. Um, but it really... Once you start thinking about taboo language it sort of falls apart, you know, like it, it really, it's only what we put into a word. Like we all agree that a word is bad. So it's bad, but it's like, it's just a combination of letters and truly like you can be so vicious. Like if I was like, Sam, honestly, you're a really bad friend and you make me feel disrespected. And when I look at you, I feel sad. And like that kind of, you don't have to swear <laughs> to like hurt somebody's feelings. So the notion of bad yeah. words is like linguistically unsound, right? Like there are not bad words in linguistics. We call it taboo language because taboo implies yeah. that it's like a social construct and not inherent to the language. Yeah. And it, oh, sorry. <laughs> the yawns are coming thick and fast this morning. Um, normally I'm really good at stopping them. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But, you know, it, it is, and it is very fascinating, especially as we go to change, you know, the way we speak about people, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, and this is where I get very frustrated and at the United States um, and their, and it's not necessarily everyone, but their refusal to move past some aspects of their language that has, that has like real damaging connotations and histories, like... I don't necessarily feel comfortable using the word black in a sentence, like, uh, other than to describe an object. Like, it's not, to me, because of the connotated history of it, I'm not going to use that. I'm going to use person of colour. Or here in Australia, because our our Indigenous population is different. And obviously, I think you guys use black in terms of African-Americans. We don't. We talk about black in terms of 
um, indigenous culture, the word black is actually spelt different when it comes to talk, being talk, uh, talked about in indigenous culture. And I don't feel like, oh. as a white person, I should be using that word in that context because that's about their culture and their identity, uh, and it's very important to them. So I often use person of colour or indigenous or Aboriginal when the context is okay because that one's still a hot topic as well. But, yeah, it's very fascinating yeah. how, like, there are some quote, bad words and the way that they've been either repurposed or, or re, you know, rethought about or continue to use um, in other aspects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's linguists who specialize in all sorts of things. There's definitely linguists, black linguists, linguists of color who know like way more about the history of like the usage of words for, to referring to groups that they identify with and like... Uh, especially like the notion of like claim, you know, taking backwards, like one that I can speak for mm. taking backwards is the word bitch, which is like a derogatory word for women. But like, no, it is not. That word belongs to me now, you know, and like all of these bitches, yeah. they're my bitches. And that means that I fiercely yeah. love and protect them. <laughs> and so like, that's a something that a lot of marginalized communities have started to do, like also the word queer um, used to be yeah. used kind of like a slur. And now, I mean, it started out as I'm sure everyone knows as a very, uh, very unremarkable word to describe something being weird, you know, like um, just like, yeah. oh, that, oh, like in um, The Hobbit, there's a chapter called Queer Lodgings, I think. Um, but, and then it, it developed to mean like gay in like a bad way because like it has that connotation of like otherness, uh, you know, that's weird. That's queer. But now the queers yeah. are like, fuck yeah, we are. <laughs> and so they're, they're really <laughs> taking back that word and it's amazing. Yeah, it is. I, and as I said, you know, the word black, but also, you know, other things also just like the redefinition of words, things like the word slay, which is used quite a lot in my friend circles. Slay was a very normal word before it became in the, the cultural zeitgeist of my generation. Like, that's definitely one of those yeah. ones that I sit there and well, I go, and that happened quickly. A word like slay comes from mm. black queer culture. And a lot of our slang comes from black culture, queer culture, youth culture. These like more marginalized groups are the ones who are out here playing with language and sort of pushing it to its boundaries. And so that's why like mm. resisting language change is in a way resisting like a, a real comprehensive understanding of the way that different marginalized groups are, are coming together. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, I, I, know, I had a very fascinating discussion about, especially the word slay. So, full context, and I can't believe I'm saying this in public because <laughs> I haven't spoken about it in months. About six months ago, um, I had a couple of interns when I was at the radio station. Oh, I forgot about they, this. They love using the word slay. Except at one point, someone pulled them, uh, one of the hosts of one of the shows pulled them aside and said, you can't use the word slay. It's actually, you know, it's, and as you said, it comes from, you know, black queer culture. It's their word. You can't use it. And they came back up to me and they weren't upset at all. They were just, they thought it was kind of weird that someone had pulled them aside and said, you can't use this word. <laughs> 
and so we had a had a discussion about it as journalists, and we sat sat there, and we I think we all came to the decision that like while this word has come from somewhere, we need to respect its history. At the same time, it doesn't mean that we can't use the word or you know add our own meaning, our own definition, and our own usage of the word. Um, Absolutely, in our own context. Yeah, and words come from everywhere. Like, you know, we say sushi. I mean, that's obviously a Japanese food. That's a horrible example. But, like, today I was talking about the word um, chaise long, (laughs) which (laughs) my dumb American brain is, like, chase lounge. But it's, like, it's chaise long. I think that's how English speakers pronounce it, even though it's a French word. I've heard several different English speakers pronounce it, like, chaise long or, like, I'm not coming up with good examples because I can never come up with good examples on the spot, but like all words come from somewhere and we can normalize Mm -hmm. them. But at the same time, it's important to think about a word like slay and be like, does this apply to me? And like, first of all, are you an ally to the group of people who created this word? (laughs) That's a great step because if you hate, if you hate queer people, if you hate black people, uh, you are not allowed to use the word slay, baby. <laughs> but if you know where the word comes from, you're doing something, you know, any bitch can slay, like come out in yeah. a hot dress or like crush that article you're writing, like slay, bitch. It means yeah. like, it's like, you, it's the same thing as like back. I don't think people say this anymore, but at some point in my life, it would be like, you're killing it. No, I think people still say that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's like, the, it's or like crushed it, you know? It's like this, It's we're all kind yeah. of saying the same thing, just in, in new ways. And, you know, in new ways that open up different grammatical features in our writing and speaking as well. Like, the word, like, and the word slay is not the greatest example for this, but I've definitely been introduced to new words and then introduced to basically new grammar that it opens up a world of new grammar that I can use to say something in a different way. Um, and it's always very fascinating because you sit there and you, you go, oh, so I can write it this way instead of the way I've always written it. Yeah. And, you know, with this new word, I can insert it in there and it makes the whole sentence make sense. Yeah. When I grew up, I lived just outside of Washington, D.C. So th- um, even though Virginia is in the South, uh, where I grew up wasn't really the South. It was it was D.C. It was the nation's capital where people talk like they're from the nation's capital, whatever. When I went to college down in mm. the, the South, though, I picked up the usage of the word ain't, which a lot of people will tell you that ain't is fake. It's not good. It's not correct grammar. Like, ain't doesn't work. Yeah. But, like, it... The word ain't literally works. Like, it literally serves a purpose. It has a system. Like, you can only use it in certain ways, just like any other grammar. Like, that's the real thing when it comes to grammar is that it's, like, a pattern that people can, like, fall into. They can follow. And, like, if if you're just saying, like, bullshit all willy-nilly, like, that's not a language. That's gibberish. But if you're using a phrase like ain't, like, that... There's nobody, the people who are correcting you for using that know what you're saying. That's what linguistics really like comes down to is like, you are correct if other people can understand what you're saying. Like you don't have to say it in some special way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this is where a lot of people who 
don't necessarily understand, you know, the intricacies of how linguistics works and the the impact of sociolinguistics, you uh, misunderstand the point of language and misunderstand, you know, the use that language has uh, because you're sitting there going, well, the, it makes sense. And I think this is where radio kind of really opened it up for me because I was like, you know, with writing, I always felt really limited. But when, when mm-hmm. I spoke, I could experiment with a different way of saying things. And if it didn't come across right, I could just move on and try a different way of saying it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you write something and it doesn't work. You're like, well, I'm just going to go back to the same way I, I, I've said it my whole entire life. Yeah. Um, and that's a great... Uh, there's and, so many differences between writing and talking. And, like, one of them is that really ephemeral nature of talking. You can keep sort of working it out. And if you're, like, speaking to someone and you can see that they're not understanding you you can like say it in a different way you can say it again Mm. but clearer like there's you you can really work with speech a lot more than you can work with writing yeah and i think this is where like for me especially i'm i i haven't seen it much in my generation because my generation loves to text but i'm more than happy to pick up a phone and speak to someone verbally to make sure that there is no doubt in what I've, you know, what I'm trying to communicate, um, because, you know, I, by listening to someone, you understand the context in which they're speaking and, and what they're saying, rather than if I write an email, it's like, I, this could be taken a completely different way, yeah. especially for, you know, more sensitive and, and a higher stakes communication as well. Yeah. I think that's why, you know, the generations above us often do prefer to pick up the phone and ring someone a uh, majority of the time because it just avoids any doubt in what, you know, we're trying to communicate. I think that on the flip side, that's because they were not raised with phone literacy and don't know how to communicate themselves as effectively in writing. Because I feel like my tone would- is usually pretty clear over text message. I would argue that the rest of Gen Z below about 2005 um, really don't have a good phone literacy either. It's one of those weird phenomenons where our period of time, we really were taught how to use a phone. Like, I vividly remember Dad telling us to go pick up the phone and teaching us how to answer the home phone. We don't have a home phone anymore. Oh, yeah. I definitely have phone etiquette. Um, This is she. (laughs) Who's calling? (laughs) May I take a message? Whereas, you know, I ring my younger siblings and they'll go, hey. And I'm like, I don't even know whether you've just made a random noise or, you know, I I can't tell whether you've consciously picked up the phone or not. (laughs) Am I speaking to the right person? Or, you know, when my siblings pick up, other than my brothers who are immediately underneath me because we're all pretty clear, um... We all, like, I will say, you know, oh, hi, Thomas, you know, or something like that, you know, rather than going, you know, oh, hey, or what do you want? (laughs) You know, that's the second sentence. It's not the first sentence. Where's the greeting here in this conversation? Um, Well, and this job that my current day job is the first job I've ever had in my life where I didn't have to answer the phone. Like, phone is an important skill. Oh, yeah, it is. It is such an important skill. And being able to f- answer the phone in a way that clearly identifies who you are, I think is, re- like, really, really important. We don't give it enough credit. Yeah. You know, when I pick up the phone and it's a number I don't recognize, it's, hello, this is Samuel O'Brien speaking. Um, <laughs> That's know, cute. I, than... I don't personally answer the phone when I don't recognize the number. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, I think part of my job is just answering job. What, yes, I get. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, I definitely, you know, when I pick up the phone, the office phone, because we've got the landlines in the office. It's you know, Mansfield Career. This is yep. Sam speaking. Oh my god, know, hold on, I, because- I got one for you. Thank you for calling Claire's. We're getting ready as half the fun. This is Christina. How can I direct your call? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Ah, oh, oh, I love... And the commercial... Yeah, the commercial phone calls are always very fascinating. But you do kind of lose that art a little bit. I definitely noticed, like, even people my age from time to time struggle to, like, answer the phone in a way that is clear to the person on the other side immediately what's going on. Like, you, you are... And phone technology is really weird because you... Sorry, I'm ranting about phones. That's all right. Um, That's sociolinguistics, <laughs> baby. Technology is, phone technology is really weird because all of a sudden you're transported to, like, another part of the country where, you know, there are... Who knows what's going on? Um, and, you know, if you need to answer the phone and go, oh, hey, I'm busy, or, you know, th- that... You know, that needs to be communicated incredibly quickly or, like, what the vibe of the conversation is going to be. Because you haven't seen that that person's body language. You can't, you know, you don't have any other cues as to what this conversation is going to be like. So you don't know how to adapt your language and your your tone and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that's why uh, people, like, a lot of people have, like, their phone voice. You know what I mean? Mm. Because you don't know what's going on on the other end, so you need to be a little bit more neutral. And that kind of leads me yeah. into like another thing that I would like to talk about. It's a linguistics concept that I, I feel like a lot of people have heard about by now, especially the listeners of our, our podcast, aka <laughs> liberal youths, but um, code switching, right? Have you heard of that? I haven't. Really? Ooh. Okay. It might be something that no. we talk about. It really might be something that we talk about more here in America because we have so many different kinds of people and we talk about it a lot specifically when it comes to like African-American vernacular English. But basically code switching mm. is the ability to turn on different kinds of voices. And so like this voice that I'm using right now is not the same voice that I use when it's just me and Haley smoking weed on the couch watching a movie. Like I'm not, I'm not like monologuing yeah. to her like this. Um, I'm actually not a great example of code switching because I'm the kind of person who is like always the same. Um, I just (laughs) figured out how to not swear on how do I book. But for example, um, if you've seen, uh, the movie Black Klansman, have you seen that one, Sam? No, I haven't, but go ahead with the example. It's a, it's a great movie and, um, I, I do really recommend it, but the, the, one of the big plot points is the main character is a black man who works, uh, oh, he's a cop. I'm like, what does he do? He's on the phone. No, he's a cop. And he, uh, he, he like infiltrates the KKK by calling them and using his white voice, right? So he switches from... African-American vernacular English, which is a really broad African-American vernacular English, A-A-V-E. The very outdated word for it is Ebonics. Um, Like, it's really this Mm -hmm. umbrella term for the way that America's really vibrant and populous black uh, communities talk 
differently from their mm. white or differently colored counterparts, basically. And so in the movie, yeah. the main character is talking in African, African American vernacular English to his colleagues, to his girlfriend, people he feels safe with. And then he gets on the phone to infiltrate the KKK. I swear it's a really good, believable movie. It sounds really silly, but he puts on his white voice and he calls it his white voice, you know? And, yeah. um, that's like an example of code switching and people do it all the time. Like everyone does code switching, but um, yeah. it's specifically important when it comes to um, at least where I live in the South of the United States, it really comes into play when we're talking about black people being forced yeah. to speak differently from how is natural to them because of this like fake notion of the right way to speak. And like, I'll say it right here. Like there is no right way to speak. <clears throat> People are like, oh, you speak with like standard English. And like, if anyone in this country spoke with standard English, it would be me because I was raised outside the nation's capital. But like, I still have yeah. a Southern accent. Like I still talk like a girl with like upspeak at the end of my sentences. Like I, yeah. The phrase like a girl is not good, but that's like a traditionally like feminine <laughs> trait is, the, is yeah, that yeah. you learn a little bit to speak a little bit differently. Um, and so like, uh, where was I going with this rant? There is no such thing as standard English. Like what the fuck is standard? You're just going to like pick a spot on a map of a country as big as ours and be like that's standard. Bro, you can like tell the difference between someone who lives in Washington, D.C. and someone who lives in Los Angeles and someone who lives in New York and someone who lives in Houston. And those are all really important places in America, much like all of the rest of America, except for certain parts of Alabama. And like you can't just say like one of them is better. Like Christina talks best because she went to frick school in frickin Fairfax County. Sorry, I'm yeah. on a soapbox right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. And it's one of those things. There's a, I think there's a Tom Scott video about this. Um, he studied linguistics as well. Um, except now he just makes educational YouTube videos for a living. Um, nice. Wow. What a great pipeline. Linguistics yeah. and educational YouTube. Yeah. But he talks yeah. about the lost um, English accents. So, you know, all the sub accents within England, you could tell where, what town you were from in England, um, because they were, especially for so long, so quite insular, you didn't move from town to town very quickly. Yeah. So every every town, you know, had their own accent. And they're slowly dying out, but you can tell when someone's from the north, the yeah. Midlands or the south, totally. um, whether they're from London Even or I can tell east that. or out in the west. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating aspect because not only does the accent change, but as you said, the structural way you speak changes. And um, Indigenous people here in Australia, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, they've all got different languages. But the way the way in which they all communicate is very similar, at least in my eyes. I'm a white person. I can't really tell the difference. But when I see Indigenous people jump up and communicate about stuff, the way that they speak is very similar. They are... You know, it's a little bit more gruff. It's a little bit more... There's not a huge amount of grammatical, you know, and I won't talk about the specifics, but it is a very interesting way of being... of of communicating, and it's different. It's different. And for such a long time, 
you know, white people in our country, white people in the States, white people everywhere um, try to, like, smash out different ways of communicating to standardise it. I think it's probably one of the worst things we ever did was let's standardise everything. I think we're uh, still doing it. In that. I think we're still yeah. doing it. Um, and that's, like, a really good point, Sam, is that language is also a tool of colonization. English, mm. the way that we know English today is a result of colonization, the colonization of the British Isles by Rome, um, and then mm. some less formal, not colonizing, just cool Viking invasions and a little bit of French. Um, but, you know, the UK and other countries like America have turned around and made English like a weapon in certain places by taking it. Uh, and and I'm, America is also one of those places where English yeah. has been used as a weapon because if you are as a colonizer, do things like uh, require people to speak English in school to get an education, require people to speak English in their workplaces to earn a living. You are giving less opportunity for the native languages there to thrive. And that is how languages die out. Like that is literally how languages oh, yeah. die out. And honestly, thousands of languages are dying out. No, I don't know a number in a specific amount of time, but like languages are dying out at an ever increasing rate and it's because of globalization and colonization baby oh yeah exactly we're in a mad rush here in australia at the moment to try to preserve indigenous languages that are left yeah because we wipe them out so hard that we are you know there at one point there were no indigenous people that lived on the island of tasmania at all just wow. none whatsoever we wiped out that whole indigenous population there, oh my God. Um, including their practices, their ecological. And this is the other thing, like we talk, we're talking about linguistics now and colonization of linguistics, but also our colonization of religion and our colonization of weather. Um, weather is not the same here in Australia. We operate on a completely different system. We shouldn't be thinking about it in terms of winter, spring, summer, uh, winter, spring, summer, autumn. Mm-hmm. We should be thinking about it as the wet and the dry and the cold and the hot rather mm -hmm. than, you know, because that those have more impact on our day-to-day -day lives rather than... And religion as well, I've, you know, uh, I've been speaking to a Catholic priest here locally and he and I are very adamant that, like, the Catholic Church made a step backwards when they decided to stop adapting culture beyond the pagans because what they were doing was adapting the, the beliefs and traditions of the pagans um, into the faith. That's why Christmas is on the solstice and that's why Easter is on the equinox, you know. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't do that for indigenous cultures. We didn't do it for people in Africa and the Middle East and, and in Asia. We didn't adapt the religion to, to that. And that's why, you know, religion is now fundamentally failing and... Uh, you know, a whole other variety of things are fundamentally failing because we just continue to standardize and not adapt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you keep making rules that don't work for the people you're talking to, then like you're no one's going to be happy. And to sort of get back to the subject of sociolinguistics, when <laughs> a kid says, can I go to the bathroom? And the teacher says, do you mean may I? Like, that's not helping anybody. Like, that's a fake-ass yeah. rule. You're not thinking about the child you're speaking to who uses can as a word in this way constantly 
because that is yeah. literally what the word means. And like you're being shitty about it because you're having a power trip. Literally anyone enforcing yeah. language on anyone else is a power trip. Unless, as I mentioned, it's funny. Sometimes it's really funny to point out when people do grammar wrong. <laughs> and I would only do it to friends that I know would think it was funny too. Or if you work with them doing a language related job. Outside of that, there's just yeah, no fucking exactly. need. When people are like, don't start a sentence with a preposition. No, don't start a sentence with a conjunction. No, don't start a sentence with a... Wait, what the fuck? Is that kind of word? Don't start a sentence. Full stop. Don't, don't start Just sentences. don't start. Don't end a sentence with a preposition. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, that shit is fake. <laughs> that shit is yeah. fake. And, like, maybe... When you're writing, it's not fake because maybe when you're writing, the grammar matters, but it doesn't always like if you're writing for yourself, if you're writing for like a partner or a friend, like it actually doesn't matter how you are writing as long as they can understand you. Someone like Sam or me who works on writing for the public, that's different because you want stuff to be standardized yeah. so that people from all walks of life have the best opportunity for comprehension of what you're trying to write. So that's why we it have is, grammar. It's very yeah, and it's also fascinating, like, and I, as you mentioned, we write in standardised ways, but the local paper I write for here also has, like, slang and vernacular that isn't used in any other newspaper anywhere yeah. because it is, you know, we... And it's always, for me, it's the big thing has been the geographical locators. We talk about the Northeast and it's capital N, capital E, Northeast, um, because it is a location or um, the yeah. high country. Like the, like those like are the American South where is I live. like capital S. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and, it, and it's very fascinating because we, we use it, but like the capital city paper, a two hour drive away won't use it at all because that's they will talk about Mansfield in the state's northeast not yeah. you know the northeast is doing this or you know right. and it, it is very you know it, it's been so fascinating to see the way that like regardless of you know the standardization of journalism uh here in Australia as well because ownership is so condensed it makes me sick a little bit um uh, but, you know, even with the standardizations we have, there are still changes within, you know, different aspects of, of our writing and our speaking. Yeah. And, and, and very I, interesting. I think that just goes to show that even when you're writing, there is no real way to standardize because there are so many different style guides. That's like the point of a style guide is like it's a rule book for language. I'm looking at the Chicago Manual mm -hmm. of Style, which is always in my field of vision. That's what American fiction book publishers use. But my friend Adrian, who works for a television broadcast news station, uses AP. Oh, no. I, I guess that was probably back when she was doing written journalism instead of <laughs> broadcast journalism. Still, but, yeah. um, and like uh, certain kinds of scholars use uh, Chicago or they use MLA. These are all different style guides that tell you what kind of grammar you're supposed to use and they don't always agree with each other. And so, for example, um, in journalism, like they, their style guides don't recommend an Oxford comma because every choice that journalism style guides make is in the name of saving space in a print newspaper. Yes, yeah. Whereas like in 
books it's like this bitch is already 300 pages long like we need these commas because we're talking about really complex ideas you know and so like even when you try to like standardize your writing it still isn't right like i as an editor it's like i have a very 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 comprehensive understanding of this one specific style guide and if you told me to go write in some other industry i would not necessarily know how to do that the best way and to get even more in the nitty gritty, like journalists, uh, then each company and each paper, like, uh, so we have the company I work for ha- owns about 14 different newspapers, each different paper writes slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and each different paper has its own additions to our company style guide. But then, you know, in two or three years time, when I decide to move on from this job and move to another job somewhere else, they'll have a completely different style guide that I'll have to spend the first two months kind of getting my head around and learning. Yes, I've got the basics, but each company does something slightly differently. Like the ABC has got to be impartial. And then, you know, it's other things. Like I work for a commercial company. We've got to keep sponsors in mind. So the way that we talk about things needs to be, you know, in a certain way to appease sponsors. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a whole complicated mess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very fascinating, though. The the interesting solutions we all come up with to, like, get around you know, the rules or to try to, you know, say what we want to say. Oh, God, yeah. And, uh, like, we find it hard. Wildling has a couple of rules that Chicago says, and we don't agree with it. And so we have, like, a couple of rules of our own that go against our recommended style guide. For example, people are still out here capitalizing internet. Like, it's, like, the god. <laughs> like, it's, it's, like, the internet <laughs> is such a normal thing. That shit needs to be lowercased. Or, like, emails still being hyphenated in some dictionaries. It's like, girl, no. Don't hyphenate that shit anymore. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it is so... It's such a, an interesting aspect. And the more I read, the more I learn, the more I go, I don't know everything here. And, like, and I think this is where... And the stereotype that, like, people in the arts are way more progressive, I think that comes from the fact that, you know, the way that we all communicate our practices Mm -hmm. is... It has to be open to change because otherwise how are we supposed to, you know, communicate between professions, between individuals, between, you know, different aspects of the profession... You know, you know that needs to be done like mm-hmm. and, and to do that we've got to be really open-minded yeah absolutely like um for example the chicago manual of style only in the last five years has accepted the gender neutral they them third person pronoun um when i first became a book editor we that was not not recommended by like my official mm. style guide and it's like we had to make the choice as editors to be like okay we're going to be part of the solution instead of the problem even if it means going against the rules and now because of that pressure and because of the fact that people are just already doing it this way the chicago manual is like okay yeah uh-huh say they them that sounds great yeah that was my idea it's like no girl it was not your idea <laughs> no no <laughs> and yeah this is this is how we promote change like if if you want to see a change in the language make the change and convince other people yeah that you know and obviously with within reason but you know convince other people that we should be changing the meaning the use the grammatical style of words like that's what language is it's a it's a living thing we can't we can't literally you know go this is how english was 
today. Like, English in 2020 is very different to English in 2000. Yeah, a, a language that does not change is a dead language. That's a literal term. I'm sure you've all heard of, I think, one of the most famous dead languages, Latin. The reason that Latin has mm -hmm. not changed in so long is because people are not actually using it in a real way. So if you want people to not change and to speak your language a certain way, you're really holding it back. For example, um, French has uh, a language, a French language academy uh, it, it, who makes rules about what kind of language you're allowed to use in French and what kind you're not. And they're considered to be a real authority on the matter. And then other countries have like different sort of related things like uh, is it Iceland I think has like a name registry and you're only allowed to name your baby something that's like already on the list and there's like I think I've heard of it yeah yeah and there's I uh, Christina is on the list thank you very much um and there's just like all these different ways that nation states like try to police the language going on in their country um I'm sure that there's some um, some nation states in conflicted areas that have outlawed languages spoken by real people in that area who are literally living there. I don't know of any off the top of my head because like uh, geopolitics is like not really my forte, but like I'm on a rant again, basically just like language is so powerful and like no individual or nation state should try to prescribe the way anyone else speaks, honestly, straight up. Suck up, France. Um, yeah. <laughs> on that note, um, thank you, Christina, so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a blast. It's been so fun. I really feel like you asked me one single question and I just never stopped talking. <laughs> kind of like the K-pop episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're in the ask one question, get an hour answer hour of the podcast at this point. If I can, if anyone has any suggestions for guests who could talk for an hour uh, based on one question, please, please just hit me up. I want to speak to more people like this. It is so much yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, honestly, um, like kind of, I know that we have like a couple subjects that we want to cover on your show in the next, you know, six months to a year, but I could, anytime yeah. that you're running short on guests, I could come back to talk about just the linguistic facts of life because we only talked about one and I could really talk about all of them for an hour. I also would love to talk to your listeners about the history of English because it's really, really fascinating and cool. And I think it informs a lot. Like I understand English so much better now that I know it's a garbage fire and exactly what yeah. way it's a garbage fire. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, Look, uh, has there been anything you've been reading, watch watching, or listening to that you wanted to plug? Um, I've, just, <laughs> I've just been reading wildling books that aren't out yet and playing Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> so I think my plug Look, is... No one's played Tears of the Kingdom yet. Really? That's crazy. I feel like no. everyone crazy see that's one I, that's one small change that i've been working on in the last six months is to stop saying crazy like that i'm trying to replace crazy with bananas wild or bonkers because it's a little bit kinder to people with mental health issues where crazy has historically been a bit of a derogatory word okay sorry that's my final tangent um <laughs> i would love to plug 
wildling press because later this autumn we have two books coming out that i am so fucking excited for we have cursed coven coming out by cara battlementi in september and we have lavender speculation by jamie zachariah coming out in october and neither one of them is available for pre-sale yet but they both will be in the next couple weeks here so if you just follow wildling we will let you know when those books are available for pre-sale we're not on twitter anymore but you can find us on instagram facebook tiktok and linkedin Ooh, LinkedIn. I've been spending way too much time on LinkedIn recently. <laughs> it's so grown uh, of you. <laughs> I know. I literally, um, I, I, part of the reason why I didn't have an episode last week was because I uh, hit six months at my job. I had my family over and um, it was very, oh, I don't know. By the end of it, I went skiing. So it was very sore and tired by the time I had to come back and try to figure out what I was going to do. Yes. Like oh, my God. Um but I did write a massive post on LinkedIn, which was like, I could do that in the car. I couldn't really record a podcast episode in the car. Although, maybe maybe we do that. Maybe we take content and capable on the road at some point. <laughs> if you uh, tell people ahead of time, it's cool. Yeah, all the time. Um, I'm going to plug a very Potter sequel. Um, <gasps> yes! I was re-watching it uh, for a bonus episode of the Restricted section. Um, not that I'm going to be on that bonus episode. <laughs> I'm just very excited about the bonus episode. I am too. Uh, um, but yeah, I, it's on YouTube. Go and check it out. It's a really fun romp. Uh, back in the days of early 2000s. Actually, it's a really great like time capsule of like early 2000s pop culture. Um, and I think that that's probably a really, really fun thing to, to kind of look back on and look at back at you know, what we thought and what we said back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the jokes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you, Christina, for coming on the podcast. Thank um, you, Sam. It is always such a pleasure to be here. I love podcasts where it's just talking to your friend like you would normally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not going through some sort of cursed book or something. <laughs> Content and Capable was recorded, edited, and produced by Samuel O'Brien. You can follow the podcast at Content, the letter N, Capable on Instagram, and you can find it on Facebook. You can also send an email through to contentandcapablepod at gmail.com with any of your thoughts, queries, or concerns. The best way to support the podcast is to leave a review on your preferred podcatcher so more people can hear the podcast. The art was done by Opia, and the music was written, edited, and produced by Jason Hilton. Content and Capable is proud to be a part of the Deus Ex Media Network, where you can find a podcast for any of your nerdy interests. This season on Of the Eldest Gods, we make our way through the maze of... Labyrinth. Yeah, Labyrinth, whatever. And we tell you all about the next book in the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. And explain the context as we go along. So, the whole stuck in a maze thing is just a gimmick for this book, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, Ray. Uh, hey, 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 Charlie! Where the fuck are we? Only you can save us from the Labyrinth by listening to our podcast. Help! Thank you for listening to Content and Capable. Don't forget to rate and review, and we'll see you next week for another episode. Dave X Media.